It's a story about a guy named Joe who was a director at a homeless shelter. And he had first come to the homeless shelter years earlier when he was homeless himself, struggling with drugs and alcohol, and his life was just completely broken. And inside that homeless shelter, somebody shared the gospel with him and transformed his life. Years later, he was still there living at the homeless shelter, but now he was, he was kind of the director and he was working there. And he just saw that as his mission field. He made it a point to have a conversation, not just exchange words, but a conversation with every person who set foot on the property, whether they were delivering mail or dropping off a package or coming in themselves off of the street completely broken. He would have a conversation with everybody. He had a kind word and a smile for everyone. He would sit patiently with new residents who were going through alcohol or drug withdrawal. He was high enough up kind of on the the chain of command that he could delegate most tasks, but the job that he saved for himself every morning, every afternoon, and every evening, seven days a week, was to clean the bathrooms. More often than that, if somebody had been sick inside of one of them. He never missed Bible study twice a day. And every morning, he was the first one into the chapel before breakfast, down on his face near the altar, praying, being thankful for what God had done in his life. He was the person most often called upon to resolve disputes in the neighborhood because of his gentle nature. He was the first person to share what he had with others. The local churches would take turns sending pastors to provide uh, teaching and preaching at the chapel and to lead Bible studies. And one evening, a new preacher in town had, had led the chapel service, and he'd only been in town a couple of months, and this was kind of his first week volunteering at the, at the shelter, and he had led the chapel service, and then they had gone, and he had had coffee with several of the residents, and, and as he was getting ready to leave for the evening, he was walking through the chapel, and he recognized a, somebody who had come in off the street and had been sitting in the back during the chapel service, only now this guy was sitting in the front row in the empty chapel, and he was, and he was weeping, and he was crying out to God, and he was saying, make me like Joe. God, can you please make me like Joe? And, and the pastor kind of stopped and, and, and had a, a few words with him and a moment of prayer and then said to him, you know, son, it would, it would be better instead of wanting to be like Joe, why don't you pray for God to make you like Jesus? And this, this homeless guy looked up at him and said, I'm not sure who this Jesus guy is. Is he anything like Joe? And see, the, the point of that story, Joe exhibited the fruit of the Spirit. Joe exhibited Jesus in such a way, this guy had no idea who Jesus was. But he was learning about Jesus as he learned who Joe was. Joe was introducing him to Jesus just by his life. We want to talk about the fruit of the Spirit for the next several weeks in here. And, and we're talking about that because we as Christians, the fruit of the Spirit, I think is very important for us as Christians to understand what they are, why they're important, why we ought to have them in our life, because we as Christians, we are often the front door of the church. We are the reason that somebody comes in or turns away. 
And I think it is very important as we consider the fruit of the Spirit to recognize those are the things that will cause people to want to come in. Those are also the things that will cause people to turn around and go away if we don't have them. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Fruit was a, a perfect metaphor in biblical times for this, and it's a perfect metaphor now. Fruit is, is sweet. It tastes good. These are good things, but they're good for us. We could now, in, in contemporary times, we could call them the, the candy bars of the Spirit. Candy bars taste good, but they're not good for us. In fact, too many candy bars are really bad for us. Fruit is good. Fruit grows only under certain conditions. It has to, to, to come up in the right season, and it has to grow in the right climate. The fruit of the Spirit, just like that, it's going to manifest in your life, but only under the right conditions. It doesn't just show up because you came through the door of the church. Are you in a season of your life where you are putting time in with God? That's going to help that fruit manifest. Are you in a climate, and I don't mean what the weather's doing outside, but are you in a, in a climate where you are putting yourself in the right places? Are you purposely putting yourself into the right sort of spiritual climate? Fruit is also singular. We talk about fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. And that's because this isn't a, a multiple choice deal where I can stand in front of you and pick and choose and I can say, well, you know, I'm going to have joy and kindness and goodness in my life. But that gentleness and self-control, that's not for me. I'm going to let Brother Sam work on those, and I'm not going to touch those. I'll work on some of the other ones. And, and we each get to kind of pick the ones we like and take the ones we don't like and just, just, Brother Sam, you work on those. We'll work on the easy ones. We don't get to do that. We either have them or we don't. It's an all-or-nothing, pass-fail kind of a deal. So I'm going to talk this morning about love, the first one. And love is, is when, I, when we first talked about this, the pastor and I, so many, many weeks and months ago, I thought preaching on love would be pretty easy because love's a pretty easy topic, right? Because love is mentioned in the Bible a couple of times, 650 times to be exact. So I figured that'd be pretty easy, but then it gets really hard to start narrowing it down. Love is, is hard to describe, but easy to understand. Mostly. Love is most likely the cause of every great memory or experience that most of us have. When we're talking about a favorite meal, it probably involved food we love, right? We talk about a favorite vacation, it probably involves a place we love, most likely people we love that were there with us. We talk about great holiday memories. We talk about the family, the friends that were near us. Lack of love can be absolutely destructive. Just some of the things in the news today, racial division and corruption and anger and violence, people are, are, are hurting, people are, are sad and angry and broken, and 
all of that comes from a love deficit in our lives. If our world had more love, we'd have less problems. It's pretty easy to understand, but then why do we have these problems? It's easy to understand, but it's, it's awful hard to live out, isn't it? I want to pursue the idea that, that we are the, the front door or the front porch of the church. I like the visual idea of the front porch. Picture a, a front porch with some comfortable chairs. It's in the shade, but you're still outdoors. You can get some nice breeze somewhere where you can put your feet up. A great place for a, a relaxed conversation, some easy fellowship. No agenda, no deadlines. It's not like a meeting. You're not trying to accomplish anything. You're just sitting and relaxing. Front porch is a very nice thing to to picture. And imagine that we are the front porch to the church. And these fruits that we are supposed to have as a part of our DNA should be on full display there. In fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if we are exhibiting love, people are going to figure out that we are all about God. Even when it's like this story about Joe and they don't really know who God is, when we love each other, they're going to recognize, I want some of what Brother Charles has. I don't quite understand what his life's all about, but I want to be like him. I want to have his, his sense of happiness. I want the life he has. When we exhibit that love, people will want to know more about where it's coming from and know more about us. That's what, what we pastors call opportunity for gospel conversations. Well, what is, what is love? Our culture has a lot of answers. Our culture will tell you a lot of stuff about love. Some of it even checks out as true. Love means never having to say you're sorry. How many in here have heard that? How many in here have experienced that just because you love somebody, you don't have to apologize to them? It doesn't always check out as true, does it? Love is, love is often cute. We picture kind of snuggling puppies when we think of love. A few years ago, Best Buy had this ad campaign for Father's Day that proclaimed, nothing communicates love like a high-definition television. I'm not sure how that worked out for Best Buy, but I'm not sure that checks out biblically as, as, as absolute true. Not that there's anything wrong with a high-definition television, but retail would have you believe that the only way to communicate to your wife that you really love her is to go buy her some jewelry, preferably a diamond, or something with multiple diamonds in it. Because diamonds communicate love. The culture will also tell you a lot of stuff about love that that intermixes it with sex and lust. That intermixes it with material desire and material gain. If we're in the church, we understand that a lot of that is, is problematic at best and completely sinful at worst. Webster's Dictionary defines love a strong affection for another person arising out of kinship, personal ties, or romantic desire. Well, that kind of checks out biblically because that, that kinship, Christ had a great love for his family. 
that personal ties. Jesus had a great loving relationship with his apostles, with Lazarus, people he was not related to by blood. And, and that romantic attraction, so it drives the idea of marriage, of dating. We don't usually preach it from the pulpit, although I keep telling our pastor he should. But there's a, a whole book of the Bible, Song of Solomon, that mentions romantic love very frequently. Without a doubt, love is the central component of our faith. Our faith is grounded on the fact, literally, at this church, at Fresh Start Fellowship, that Jesus loved us so much that he hung on the cross for us. Not because of how awesome we were, but because of how awesome his love for us was. Because I think most of us, if we passed the microphone around, would very quickly admit we didn't deserve what he did on the cross for us. In fact, some of us would tell you we deserved the cross. So how should we show love in our lives if it's so important, if it is listed as the first fruit of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 defines love like this. This is easy, and you've all heard this before. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That is such a great definition of love, such a common definition of love, that even unsaved heathens in Hollywood quote that when they're making a movie or a TV show about a wedding or a marriage proposal, that is so often used. Even unsaved people recognize that that is a perfect definition of love. So it's really easy to know what love is. I don't really need to spend any time explaining it or trying to explain it. If you don't understand what love is, if you don't understand how it should look or how it should feel, it's pretty doubtful that I possess the words to help you understand it. But how do we get this sort of biblical love? We've been talking about that for quite a while in this church. All of 2020. Draw close to God by spending time with Him. Read your Bible. Spend time in prayer. And, and we have gone out of our way to provide uh, daily Bible readings or multiple times per week Bible readings. Right now we're doing them daily as we read our way through the Psalms. We go out of our way to provide opportunities where we can gather corporately and pray together. Where we can come together and have powerful worship as we do on Sunday mornings. Where our worship is not just a, we just pick a couple of songs and we sing them. But Jamie puts time into thinking which songs they're going to be and puts a lot of prayer into what order they're going to be in. Because she understands that this isn't just music and singing. But this is us gathering at the foot of the cross to proclaim to God how awesome he is. If we memorize his word, that will help us to understand this love. And we have monthly memory verses that we're working on here as a church. So we, we do our best to provide those opportunities. And, and those of you who have, who have taken up that challenge and incorporated those things into your lives are, are, are giving us feedback that that's great, that that's appreciated, that those things are working. 
In fact, I know people that, that haven't memorized even one of the, the monthly Bible memorization verses, but they have tried and they have spent so many minutes every month trying to absorb that and they just have one of those brains that just really can't memorize but they're trying and there's they say you know in the trying God is working in me I'm getting results even though I can't do it so we 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 pride ourselves on providing those things not because the pastor and I are smarter than any other pastors but because those are the things God would have us do to draw close to Him. And we're just trying to follow His, His prompting as we lead. So that's kind of how we get that love. But why do we need it? 1 John chapter 4. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John, if you're, if you're turning there in your Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Dear friends... Let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in Him, and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. Verse 7, let us love one another because love is from God. Now, this isn't to say that every proclamation of love is godly. There are people that proclaim to be believers in our culture that will tell you that that's the truth, that God loves all love. That's not true. God does not love sin. And God does not respect you when you love sin. Loving sin is not godly. But loving someone enough to share Christ with them is. We exist as believers to change each other's lives, to challenge each other, to help each other grow. This alone is enough reason to practice love. So this doesn't mean that God loves everything that, that, that proclaims to be love. I don't think God is, is really spiritually excited about Best Buy trying to sell televisions or the, the, one of the stores at the mall trying to sell a diamond ring. But I think he loves it when we love our neighbors. I think he loves it when we, when we love on each other and minister to each other and help each other. I think he loves it when we gather together and, and worship him and love him because that draws us closer together and gives us strength as we go out there to love other people. That love is from God, and that's why it is so important. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. We cannot rely on unsaved people to provide the sort of love that's going to be required to fix our culture. And, and don't we kind of do that? Don't we, don't we put our hope in, in politicians and celebrities and athletes and, and people that have, that have good ideas? And don't we sometimes get excited? We watch a, we watch a movie with a good heartfelt message. And we, oh, Hollywood gets it. And they're, they're, they're gonna, this is going to fix things. 
And we get excited about that, but that's not what's going to happen. Verse 8 is telling us we can't rely on unsaved people because they don't really understand godly love. So we can't rely on them to sort of lead the way in this idea of godly love. We can't align our lives or set our sights on God by using the outside world as a standard. That'd be like picking up a compass without a needle and you just pull it out of your pocket and which, whichever way the N happens to be, then you just decide, well, that must be north, so that way must be south, and we're going we're gonna to do our directions off of that. But the next time I pull it out of my pocket, north happens to be pointing that way. So now we'll just change gears and decide north must be that way and south must be that way. We can't rely on a broken compass to decide which way is true north. We can't rely on unsaved people out in the world to decide what love is supposed to look like. Because if we do, we're not going to be experiencing biblical love. We're not going to be sharing biblical love. Verse 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. We have said this over and over again in this church. You guys were saying this long before I showed up here. Salvation is not the finish line. Getting saved and coming to know Jesus, that's not the finish line where you get to sit back and relax and, and, and I'm done with my Christian journey. That's the beginning. That'd be like going on a successful job interview and you answer all the questions and you have a great rapport with the person who's interviewing you and then at the end of the interview they shake your hand or, or in the, the, the new reality we live in they kind of give you the elbow bump and they say to you, you are hired. And then you just, you just go running home and you get on the couch and you grab your potato chips and you grab your Fritos and you grab your chocolate and you get your Diet Coke because you're going to be healthy and you put your feet up and you just wait for those paychecks to start rolling in. No, the job interview is not the end of the job where the paychecks come from. Showing up and punching that clock and actually working is where the paychecks come from. Salvation is the start. And with that acceptance, we've got to understand we are now on the clock not just to get ministered to, but to minister to others. John tells us in this letter that, that we must behave this way because that's what was done for us. He went to the cross for us, so this is what we've got to do for other unsaved people. We have got to love. In verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. We have no idea what God looks like. But we can get an idea by the biblical love that we show each other. This homeless guy in the story I told at the beginning had no idea who Jesus was. I don't know about this Jesus guy, but is he anything like Joe? See, he knew more about Jesus than he thought because he knew somebody who had given his life to Christ and, and lived according to that. The outside world is broken. Our culture is, is in a place that is, that is angrier and more broken than, than I think it's been in my lifetime. 
They need Jesus. And they need to see him in us or they're not going to see him. If we don't manifest this love, the culture is just going to get worse and worse. The unsaved people are going to remain unsaved. And a Christian friend who recently shared that the problem isn't that unsaved people don't know any Christians. The problem is that most of them do. Only the Christians they know are not exhibiting biblical love. As we talk about the fruits, the fruit of the Spirit over the next several weeks, I want us to consider why each one of these are so important in our lives. And I want us to think not just for us. As I look around this room, nobody in here needs to, needs to be talked to about biblical love. Everybody in this room gets it. I know you do. I've had conversations with most of you about it. But the world out there doesn't get it. And that's why we need to make sure that we are understanding this. Because we are on the front lines of sharing this gospel with a hurting world. That is why the fruit of the Spirit are so important. That is why understanding Jesus in this way is so important. That is why we want to do these, these scripture memorization and these daily Bible readings. Not because we're trying to build up Fresh Start Fellowship, but because we want you guys to be able to reach your neighbors and your coworkers and your, your unsaved friends and family members. If we want the world to see love, then we need to understand why it is so important and we need to live that out. Picture us back on their front porch. And if we love everybody who steps onto that front porch, they're going to want to stick around.